The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Welcome back to the Relationship and Writing uh, series. Today, we're going to be talking about family. Do you, do you hear that, that sense of dread that I have? <laughs> so I thought, you know, per our tradition, I would start with a story. And today, it's going to be a personal story. And I hope that uh, this story doesn't get me into too much trouble. But whatever, I'm just being honest. So this weekend, something cool slash upsetting happened. It was Saturday. Uh, my husband and I got up. We did our new Kaisa Fit workout, which is amazing, by the way. And uh, we've been doing that. We did that this morning. Then we went, uh, we had our cacao uh, drink because we're weird. And we went grocery shopping. And that might not seem abnormal, but the thing was, it was October 17th. And October 17th, uh, is not a day that a lot of people would think of as being special. But the thing is, October 17th is my Aunt Sherry's birthday. And we have this tradition where uh, we try to be the first person the other person hears from uh, in regards to their birthday. And so she'll call me. Well, <laughs> when I lived in California, she used to call me uh, at like 5 a.m., which I think was 7 a.m. her time because she lives in Central Mountain Time. And she would wake me up and sing me happy birthday. And then when I was in Greece, uh, I could do that. But now that I'm on the East Coast, I'm trying to like be more thoughtful about when I call my family members since I'm three hours ahead, which is easier to forget uh, than the, the eight hours or nine hours that it was in Greece and Hungary, which is confused. It feels confusing, but if you've lived those differences, you know what I mean. And so I didn't call her uh, and wake her up. So when I got back from grocery shopping, she called me. And do you know what she did? She sang happy birthday. And she said, happy birthday to me. <laughs> and it was just the most fun thing. I said, Okay, happy birthday. This it has never happened to me before. Uh, I've never had someone call me and sing me happy birthday for themselves because I was a few hours late. And I was like, I'm going to use this in a story. And she laughed. And uh, if you're thinking that you want to use it in a story, do it. I mean, I'm going to do it too. So, uh, you know, and it was my aunt who came up with this idea, right? So uh, you can't say that it was your original idea, but it's so fun, right? I'm definitely including it in something. And uh, all of a sudden, I hear my dad's voice in the car with her. And you might not think that that's so strange, 
but my dad doesn't live in Colorado. He lives in California. And I was like, oh, my gosh, is my dad there with you? And she's like, oh, yeah, he's here. Didn't you know he was coming here? And I was like, I haven't talked to him in, like, months. And then he's like, will you call me for my birthday? I could hear him in the background. And he said, and I was like, yeah, but I talked to him for five minutes. And he was out to breakfast with his friends. So I had to, you know, I couldn't just, like, sit and talk to him while he has all these people around him. And he never called me back. which I wanted him to call me back because I wanted to know if he got the gift that I gave him that I thought was really uh, thoughtful <laughs> that I, I imagined he would actually like because he's one of the most difficult people to buy gifts for. And so you can see through this strange dynamic that I'm actually closer with my aunt, my dad's sister, who knows more about the day-to-day of my life than my actual dad does. And I don't think that that's something that's super rare. And I don't think that having a dysfunctional family is super rare, unfortunately. So, you know, I was thinking about it uh, all weekend because I'm like, gosh. So if there's this temptation for me, right, where I'm like, what's wrong with me that my dad doesn't want to know anything about my life? And I don't think, you know, like, I don't think of that about my kids because my kids are awesome. And But sometimes I'm like, what's wrong with him that he doesn't want to know my kids, you know? And uh, I, my father-in-law died a few years ago uh, as the result of a skiing accident. And he was really invested in my life and in my kid's life. And my dad gets mad <laughs> whenever I make that comparison. I'm like, but, you know, I knew he cared because he would call me on the phone. Like, my father-in-law would call me when he knew there was no one at home and it was just me so that I could catch up with him about what was going on with me, what was going on with the kids, what was going on with Travis you know, uh, he and I were confidants about Travis and I've told Travis all this stuff since, you know, but we used to like pray for him together and do these different things. We were both like team Travis and that's what united us. And then we became team Spencer kids. (laughs) And I didn't have that great of a relationship with him starting off. And I've talked about that, uh, in other books and podcast episodes and whatever. But so I, you know, I'm like, okay, well, if he really loved us that much, then maybe the problem's not me. And I always remind myself that, you know, my dad is doing the best he can, and he just doesn't really know how to love me uh, the way that you would love a daughter. And that's sad. But there's nothing I can do about it. And that has made my life story very interesting because that knowledge uh, has followed me through every phase of my life. And now that I'm an adult, uh, a grown ass woman, (laughs) as I would, as I would say, and as many people would say, you know, I'm 36 years old, I'm going to be 37 this year. Uh, I want to know my dad loves me. And I think that's a basic human necessity. But when I was younger, I didn't understand that it wasn't that he didn't love me. It's just he, he couldn't. He didn't know how to show me his love, and I still think he doesn't know how. And that has changed me as a person, and that is something I still have to fight against. And you're like, Kristen, why are you telling me this insanely personal thing? And I would say, because think about it. My relationship with my dad or lots of other – I have lots of other family relationships I could point to and say, this has affected who I am now – My relationship with my dad has shaped who I am as a person, and that is part of my story. And so you can take 
these things that you have in your family and these dynamics uh, if you're really brave, right? And you always have to change things a little bit um, because you don't want to get sued by your family uh, because you don't want to, they have an expectation to write to privacy if they're not a public figure. So you have to be careful about that. Um, and you don't want to get sued for libel. But in my case, I have witnesses to what my dad said on the phone, you know, <laughs> like I didn't know he was in Colorado. Uh, he hadn't talked to me, you know, like that stuff is real. And I can talk about that without slandering my dad's character. Uh, maybe you feel a little bit bummed out for me, but that's okay. And guess what? Sometimes you want people to feel bummed out for your protagonist and you want to show these complex things about a person uh, in this case, a fictional person, a character, through family relationships. And so I thought I would use my story of my Aunt Sherry, who we play this game about birthday calling every year, right? Twice a year on my birthday and on her birthday. And then my dad, who uh, I am i don't even always hear from him on my birthday. Ah, you see, that's a sigh. Um, but, you know, I know he's doing his best. And that changed... That has made me different as a person. And so you can use these family relationships to get your character where they need to be or where they need to go. And you can also use these really complicated things to help the reader feel the things that you need them to feel for your character at certain points. And I thought, what story can I use as an example of this? And, you know, I like to use film uh, examples because you can just go watch them and understand everything that I'm saying. Uh, whereas if I'm like, go read this in a book, it's like a month later and you're like, okay, I finally understand instead of two hours. And so as we're working through these concepts, uh, film is made through writing. They write a screenplay and and uh, <laughs> the, the example I want to use was written by Jennifer Lee, who is my superhero. And I used to say that I wanted to be her when I grew up. Like, and like last year I said that. <laughs> I've been saying that for years. But now that I see what her job entails, because I saw the Frozen 2, uh, uh, making of Frozen 2, uh, the documentary on Disney+, Plus, I was like, oh, maybe I don't want to be her when I grow up. Because she does spend a lot of time writing, but she also spends so much time doing lots of other things because she's the head she's the first female head of disney animation uh which i wish she would get more recognition for that but i i've realized i'd rather spend more time writing and i'd rather spend more time helping other authors so but i want to talk about and if you haven't guessed by now i want to talk about big hero six which is an animated film that is based on a comic and the reason why I want to talk about this particular story in relation to family is because family is at the very heart of the film. So in the beginning of the story, uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you what happens in the first like 20 minutes of the of the film. So if you want to pause it, go watch Big Hero 6 and come back. Fine. Uh, actually, I'm just going to spoil the whole, whole movie. So go watch the whole thing and then come back. <laughs> So what you see in this film is not just one family. We have the protagonist, who's Hiro Hamada, and he has a brother, Tadashi, who goes to school uh, and, and is making technological advances. And his brother sees that, and his brother also makes an invention. 
And you get kind of caught up in this world of the school. But the thing that you're really caught up in is that these two brothers are together. Their parents have tragically died because that's what usually happens in a Disney film. (laughs) Right? Because that's powerful storytelling is when you have some kind of tragedy. So they're all they have and they live with their Aunt Cass and this delightful cat, uh, which I can enjoy because he's a fake cat and I'm allergic to real cats. I'm really allergic. (laughs) And so... You have this dynamic between brothers, and it's really heartwarming. Uh, it's really compelling. Um, Tadashi's able to kind of pull Hiro out of this funk that he's in after their parents die, and together they're getting through it. And then what happens? Tadashi gets killed in a fire. I know, right? And you're like, dang it, but Tadashi was awesome. Uh, And I'm not going to say anything else about whether or not Tadashi is actually dead because I'm not sure yet because Big Hero 6, number 2, which I don't know what they're going to call it, Big Hero 7, I don't know. That hasn't come out yet. I know that Jennifer Lee was going to work on it and then Frozen 2 happened, so she's not been working on that. Um, But I'll be excited to go see that whenever it comes out. So you have that one family, but then you have another family Because you have the head of this evil, I'm using scare quotes here, corporation. Although I shouldn't use scare quotes because they're actually evil. I mean, it seems evil. But um, the antagonist, you find out eventually that the reason why he's so bent on using Hero's technology in order to uh, advance his cause is because he's lost his daughter. And he thinks she's still alive. And he needs help repairing things so that he can go get her. And so you have these two actual families that are, uh, you know, in contrast to each other where they're both feeling desperate, you know, and because of the antagonist desperation, that's actually why Tadashi gets killed. And so Hiro is mad and he wants to make the antagonist pay, but then he realizes maybe that's not the right solution because, because, wait for it, Tadashi I mean, sorry, Hero, I got too excited. Hero gets another family in the film. And you're like, wait, what? Do his parents miraculously come back to life? Does he find out his brother's not really dead? Does his aunt realize that she has a long lost son who is now Hero's cousin? No, none of that happens. Hero meets Baymax. And Baymax, who is a fluffy, amazing piece of technology, he's he's a robot, he takes Hero into the world where he goes and meets all of his brother's friends and they become his family along with his Aunt Cass. And they, of course, also become a superhero team. Hello, awesome. But he realizes through the lessons he's learning with that new family that revenge is not something his brother would have wanted and it's not something that will contribute to him Uh, being more of a hero, which ends up becoming his character's story goal. And you see all of these things working together, and it's through these relationships, these family relationships, that the story is realized and completed, and Hero's character arc gets to where it needs to at the end. And so there's this underlying theme in Big Hero 6 that family is what you make of it. And I think that's true. And, you know, uh, there's the saying, friends are the family you choose. And I do have people like that in my life. Of course, I also have other family members 
you know, I don't want to get too much into me, me, me on this situation, but uh, you can think about your own life and what family decisions and choices have motivated your story, your personal story. And you can uh, think about your friends and their families and how these very complicated relationships actually change people. And you can use all of that as fuel when you are trying to make your character arc change, when you're trying to get through the plot points, when you're trying to give your character a motivation to do the thing that they need to do. You can give them real family members. You can give them the family they choose, the friends, the Baymaxes, right? Even a robot can be considered a family member. And you can help them grow that way. Or you can have them be like debilitated at the beginning, which is my real story is that, uh, you know, because of my interesting childhood, uh, I was just kind of really messed up when I got married and I brought all these weird habits into my marriage and I had to work through them. And, and uh, let's say I'm at the end of my character arc. I don't believe I'm at the end of my character arc. But let's just say for this uh, this one book in the series, okay, that I'm at the end of my character arc. I've become a completely different person in the last 15 years than I was when I was first married because I was all messed up. And then, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm being really transparent with you, I will say that Jesus came into my life in a more powerful way and helped me understand how unhealthy I was and helped me understand how unhealthy my marriage was. And through that, I was able to have a very, com uh, you know, dynamic character arc. And I'm not saying uh, that you should do what I did. But for me, that was the right thing. I don't regret it. And I have seen that that's and that's also a family type relationship uh, in in my religion of choice that, you know, I have Jesus. He's the son of God. Uh, I don't know. I know a lot of people listening to this will be like, I already know about all that. But I know some people, uh, especially probably my listeners in India, don't understand the the whole familial relation inside of Christianity. So I just wanted to point out that that's also a, a type of family relationship. And so whatever your character is going through, and of course, feel free to use other uh, familial religion type stories in your writing, whatever whatever impacts you that you can use to impact your characters. So you can use these very complicated relationships to transform your characters. And I do, I it's the same with the romantic relationships, right? I would like to see there be more healthy familial relationships. And that's what I'm trying to do in real time with my family, with my kids, with my husband. Uh, and so I would like to see more stories like that where families go through hard stuff and they deal with it. They don't just pretend like it didn't happen or uh, they're willing to be vulnerable with each other. So if you're interested in writing that kind of story, there definitely are a lot of people like me out in the world who like to read those kinds of stories just because we had a dysfunctional childhood <laughs> doesn't mean we always want to read a dysfunctional childhood. So I would encourage you to use these family relationships to show how complicated they are and to make those expensive words from your personal experience uh, breathe life into your stories. That's what I try to do. Sometimes it means I'm writing and then I'm crying and then I'm writing and then I'm crying. Uh, but <laughs> I really think that it it makes my work deeper. It makes my words matter more to the reader. It endears me and my characters to the reader. And that's what you want to be able to 
learn to do. And uh, if you're if you're feeling stuck, just sit down and journal about your own family and think about the choices that your family made, how those choices were then passed down to you, what choices you made as a reaction. Because remember, every scene is an action and a reaction. And every scene of our lives is an action and reaction. And we have the big ones, which are chapters. We have the even bigger ones, which are plot points. But we all have those things in our lives. So just sit down and journal about it. And I think you'll find that the things that are inside of your family relationships will be able to feed into your storytelling in a really great way. And if you still haven't (laughs) gone to watch Big Hero 6, even though I spoiled the whole thing for you, go watch it and make notes about the different relationships that happen in that story. And I promise, I promise that will help you as you're getting ready to write a family relationship in your own story. Uh, And I just want to end with the thing that I always end with. It is never too late to write the story of your heart. And especially if you're going to write about family. So the next episode, we're going to talk about relationships uh, in writing, workplace proximity associates, to use Ron Swanson's words. And until then, I hope you have a glorious day. Here it's raining and I love it. So wherever you are, keep working, keep writing, Keep trying to make those expensive words. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing.